Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. You will not regret this one. Well, speaking of regret, our second episode in this season is about regret, changing your mind. Specifically, does God change his mind? Is that is that possible? Can God make a decision and then regret it if he's all-knowing, all-powerful, knows the outcome of certain of every event and circumstance? So, but before we get get there, I thought it would be kind of a fun segue and intro to talk about things that that y'all have regretted or or even changed your mind about or changed your opinion about. Anything anything come to your mind? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I was like, I've changed my mind about a lot of things. But something recent within this past year that I changed my mind about uh, was my outlook on the Twilight series. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. Twi- Twilight, mm. here's the thing. Twilight came out. It was like late junior high, early high school. You know, it was like huge. Everybody was reading it. Team Jacob, Team Edward? And well, Hang on, I'll get there. Okay. <laughs> and The people want to know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole time I was in high school, of course, I was like, I ain't reading that. I ain't watching those. No way. I was like, that, that's weird. I always heard it was bad acting. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. It is bad acting. And what? over the past year... <laughs> I was like, people were talking about it again. For some reason, I knew people who were trying to watch them again. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. And so I do. I watch Twilight. I'm like, yeah, you're Josh, you're right. Bad acting. Bad acting. However, it's it's comically bad and still very entertaining. Taylor Lautner might be the worst actor of all time. Stop and he's it horrible. Right now. Pa- Pattinson or pa- Patterson? Patterson. Oh, Patterson. Patterson. Yeah. He's he's okay. Yeah. He's okay. He's actually done some stuff that's been better since then. Totally. Taylor Lautner might be the worst actor yeah, he's not good. ever. What? Anyways, oh, no, but I changed close. my mind. I was like, I'm gonna give it a chance. And I was like, you know what? I had the right expectation for it. And I'm down with Twilight. Okay. I probably it's won't read great. the books. <laughs> the movies? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. I thought that about The Notebook. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, couldn't, this is not my answer, but kind of going off that, like The Notebook, no way, never gonna watch it, never gonna see it, chick flick, like everyone's hyping it up way too much. Like, and then I see it and I watch it. It's so good. <laughs> I've probably it's seen so it. Good. I've probably seen it 10 times. I mean, it's, it's, you don't like that movie? No, I, I grew up loving. Okay, here, I changed my mind on it. I grew Whoa, up loving The Notebook. Look at that. And then I've been, wa- like, I've watched it probably two times over the last two years. And it just makes me mad. I'm like, this is such an unhealthy relationship. It what is. are you guys doing? This is so stupid. I And I just get angry. It's like when I watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, I just get so mad. I'm like, you. You, you wow! Won. I just I just get angry. Okay. <laughs> wow! This is a safe place. Thank you for sharing, confessing. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> Team Edward or Team Jacob? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Edward for sure. Yeah. Same. Okay. Yeah. Right answer. I was curious because your name's Jacob, yeah. but no, I'm for sure Team Edward as yeah. well. Also, I have to argue that the acting is oh. not terrible. Oh my gosh, Taylor Lautner. I think the writing is cheesy. That's the guy that did Shark Boy and way. Lava Girl. And he was, actually, <laughs> he was amazing. Yes, it was. No, you're right, Joanna. It is written in a yes. certain way and even filmed in a certain way that yes. if, they, if it was like, wow, that's really good acting, it might not match. Yeah. So that, the whole thing, if you have the right expectation, it's great. Exactly. It is what it is. Yeah. What's it yours? is what it is. What? What's yours? 
What's my answer to this question? Yes. Oh, um, you've already said you're Team Edward. So, like, what's your answer to the original question? Great. great. Um, I thought you wanted me to explain, and I could explain, but I'm not going to explain why I'm Team (laughs) Edward. That's that's next week's podcast. Okay, great. Sounds good. Um, my answer has got to be about Taylor Swift's new album. Oh, I'm curious because I have a, a strong opinion on this. Oh, okay. Well, I listened to it the first time, and I was like, nothing special about this album. I agree. Production style is interesting pretty consistent through the whole album i like an album that is like has some variety you know track to tracks like a little bit different yep. and it was like pretty just like straight like same vibe the whole album which is fine didn't really love it listen to it for a second time and listen to the writing oh and it was really good okay really really because i didn't really like it but i haven't done that and i haven't really given it much time after the first one so lyrics okay lyrics slap listen to it hmm i do love anti-hero i know that's like the famous that, one yeah that one's probably like the the writing really sticks it's out on that so, one the, it's yeah, really good the lyrics are so it's good. really good anyway great album listen Eileen? to it if you haven't uh well just because we're talking about twilight i would like to say that i did grow up as a diehard jacob fan like had all the posters he grew up an hour away from i did in michigan okay like 100 percent team jacob but then that's not enough excuse me that's not enough evidence to just be because jacob. he grew up in michigan yeah. Well, I mean, I was also just in love with the whole idea of like the werewolf thing. And oh. Then, oh, I was all in. Guys, Kinda I was all in. A, a little edgy. <laughs> but now I look back and I'm like, dang, that boy was selfish. Yeah, like, for real. True. Uh, I'm not not about it. Edward, he was really out here. You know, he made some stupid mistakes too. I'm being so judgmental this morning. <laughs> I love it. But I, I'm here for Edward now. I've wow. grown. So that was your change. That was my change. Ooh. Wow! You're just, gonna, you're just gonna well, steal, you're just gonna steal. You're just gonna steal his. Oh, hundred percent. Wow. You didn't give me enough time to think. <laughs> I give you an hour. <laughs> no. An hour is not enough time to no, think about this. Not. I gave Joanna like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, mine is about Lululemon. Oh man! When I first heard about it, you know, part of it was they were very their advertising. Advertising was very female based and they had some men's stuff, you know, growing up in California, you know, we get all the kind of trends and stuff first. And so I was like seeing some of their men's line. I was like, it's like, I could never, I would never be caught dead wearing Lululemon total girl brand, like no way. And anyone that (laughs) knows me now, the only pants I will ever wear are lululemon pants wow and not only do i wear them but i'm probably one of their biggest fans and so wow things change we change our mind we change our opinions but the question today does god do that does god change his mind does he regret and so we're gonna look specifically at two different passages one is about regret and one is about changing your mind, and we're going to see kind of what these mean and and what we can, if we can make sense of these. And so the first one is Genesis 6, starting starting in verse 6, and it just says, uh, I'll actually start in verse 5 to give some context. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart 
was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so that's Genesis 6. We see the word regret two different times, and we'll talk about kind of what that word could mean in a second. The second passage about God changing his mind is one that we see in Exodus 32. And it says, But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. This is verse 11. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swear by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky." And I'll give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. That word relented relented in other translations also changed his mind and didn't bring that disaster. So right here, it feels like we have some pretty strong evidence that God regrets or that God changes his mind. So what what does this mean for an all-powerful, all-knowing, completely sovereign God? Let's start with that Genesis 6 passage. What does this mean for God to regret? Mm. Well, I think it's important to look at the original Hebrew word for regret. And Josh, you were kind of talking about this a second ago about how different translations um, have different words behind it. And so if we look at the Hebrew, the word that is used in both of these passages, in the Exodus passage and in the Genesis passage, is necham. You got to make it sound fancy. <laughs> yes. the, more phlegm, the more phlegm, the better. Necham. Thank you, guys. Joanna, you didn't try it either. No, I oh, don't okay. want to. I'm 50 per- I'm 50% Jewish, so wow, okay, this just comes natural to me. <laughs> So, so this word can mean to regret, it can mean um, relented, repent, to be sorry, to console oneself. Um, and so if we look specifically at the Exodus 32 passage, um, Josh, were you reading from NIV? NIV yeah, on yeah, both yeah. of those. Yes, yeah, so NIV uses relented, as does the ESV and um, like the Net Bible, but the NLT and the NASB actually use changed his mind about. So then Yahweh changed his mind about and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Um, and then in Genesis, uh, it, it uses regretted. So Yahweh regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And that um, was ESV, NIV, um, NET, CSB. But then actually the NLT, um, NASB, more of those like literal translations use was sorry. So the Lord was sorry that he had hmm. made human beings on this earth. Um, and what's interesting is, yes, we have this word nakam. And I'm going to be self-conscious. I'm not saying it anymore. (laughs) But um, while those, while that word means um, regret and repent and all of these things, 
I think we have to pause and and say, okay, well, when we think of that, we think, oh, that means like we sinned and we had to repent, right? So so we did something bad or we did something we shouldn't have. Um, and we can kind of think of it in that connotation. But if we take what we know about the Lord, the Lord doesn't sin. The Lord, the Lord doesn't do anything bad, right? And so we have to pause there and, and understand that and then see that there's actually a second word for repentance in Hebrew, and that word is shiv. And I actually don't know if I'm saying that one right. <laughs> I've got no um, critiques on that one. But, uh, but that word is the word that's used um, in reference to human beings and human repentance. And that word is used in the context of, okay, they were sinning, and now they are turning, and they're turning away from that sin. And so I just think it's... Um, important to make a distinction between those two and just note, hey, we as 21st century Americans are stepping into a different culture and a different language. And so we have to remember that there are going to be words that don't fully translate into our language that they had. And so they are going to be understanding um, words differently when when these first recipients um, were reading this. That's good. And so I think right off the bat, we're, we, we're trying to figure out then what does this word regret or change his mind, nacham? What does this word mean? Looking specifically at that Genesis, Genesis 6 context, uh, like we know, as we talked about last week, if you listen to last week's podcast, God created all things. He created male and female in his image, gave him this purpose, be fruitful and multiply over the whole earth. And we're seeing this happen. And then by the time you get to Noah, it says every intention of all of mankind was was evil. And that's where you get this context of God regretted that he even made mankind in the first place. And so what do you think he's trying to communicate communicate here, or you can even say, what is the author of Genesis trying to communicate here about God specifically? Um, hold me back if I'm talking too much, y'all. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's it's God saying that he's, I mean, he's emoting, he's feeling, he's sorry and he's sad that what he created as good and very good in the garden is now not good and sin has entered the world and it's broken and so we see God responding right like I mean we're going to talk about does God change and I'm going to say his character doesn't but he responds to human beings and and I think that's a good thing we we don't want a God that's apathetic and so when we look at these passages and he's regretting or, you know, was sorry or whatever word you use to translate it over, he's grieving for something that went from good to not good. Yeah, it's definitely, it carries like a heavy emotional um, aspect to it, especially, you know, you do a word study on that. Um, It's always showing that God has these like feeling and emotion and is dynamic, especially in our, in his relationship with humans, because he cares extremely I mean, he, he loves humans and he wants to partner with them. And so, yeah, like Ali, what you said, whenever not only have, not only humans have come out of his presence and have become evil, but then are destroying all the good things that he created. I mean, just think if like you at a very small scale, obviously created something and was in a really close relationship with somebody and then something similar happened that would like grieve you. There would be a lot of hurt, um, regret, as to how things have come about. Um, And so I think it's a part of the main point of even 
the author writing that that part of the story out for us to read. Yeah, and I think what's important to remember with a lot of this, we talked about this pretty extensively last week, but the fact that uh, genre matters again as well, that when we read God Regretted, we immediately think about, okay, what do I think of when I see the, the word regret? instead of thinking, what is the author trying to communicate here? And, and all throughout Genesis, and you could even say all throughout the Old Testament, we see God given anthropomorphic characteristics. Whoa, big word, big, big word. word. Define it. So God ha- is given <laughs> human-like characteristics, even though he's not human, in order to relate to his own creation. And so an easy example would be anytime... Uh, an Old Testament writer talks about God's hands or God's feet or God doing this or that. We'd say, and this is pre-Jesus, remember that. So God did take on flesh, but but up to this point, we, he didn't. And so they're saying, they're trying to relate God to his own creation by using human traits, human characteristics, human features. And so part of what could be going on here is trying to relate to the to Israel that's that's hearing this and reading this saying this is how God God felt like that you're talking about like emotion trying to to relate to his his people and kind of teach this this deeper lesson of hey God's plan for for creation for mankind it is much bigger than what was going on there. And and so we'll see, especially this semester and as we continue, but we'll see that that even though God regretted, it doesn't mean that he was like giving up on mm-hmm. creation. Even in the next couple of verses, literally the next verse it says, but he set aside Noah who was who was righteous in his mm-hmm. eyes. And so I think these two passages are, are interesting to see side by side because Genesis 6, it says God regretted and then he wanted to wipe out mankind, and he did. Mm-hmm. But we see something a little bit different in Exodus 32. We see that that God regretted or or relented or wanted to wipe out Israel right after he had saved them from the Egyptians, wanted to wipe them out because of their worshiping idols. And yet something different happens. Jacob, kind of talk to us about the context there. What what happened in that Exodus 32 passage? Yeah, so you know, as you're reading through Genesis and Exodus and you're going through the whole Torah of the first five, it's this ongoing narrative of, hey, God creates everything, Josh, like you said, um, and he specifically wants to partner with people to reign over the earth, to experience and expand out his blessing. And we get to this point where, man, he's kept these promises that he made to Abraham and Abraham's family has grown into this big nation and they found themselves enslaved in Egypt and God delivered them out of that with all these like crazy miracles and plagues. And, and now they're in this wilderness space and they're at the foot of this really big hill called a mountain. And literally they're seeing God's presence up on this mountain. And he keep, one common theme is that God pursues people and then we reject him. That happened in the garden. That happened um, at the Tower of Babel. That happened with the flood. And God's responding in these ways. And it's happened again 
um, the people are like, no, we don't want to come into God's presence because we're scared. And God's like, okay, that, I can work with that. That's okay. And so then you get to that part where now God is on this mountain with Moses and he's giving, hey, these are, this is how I'm going to relate with y'all, aka the Ten Commandments and then the rest of the law. Uh, and while he's doing that, the, the very first of the law is you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not worship idols. And as he's giving that, the people are at the bottom of the mountain. They can literally look up and see what's going on. <laughs> and they build an idol because they're worried that like Moses has just disappeared on them. And so this part of the narrative is really important because you, you get into that those verses where it says that um, God, it seems like God is changing his mind about the people and what he's going to do with them. And Moses, the way the narrative is written, is meant to um, be a representative of a few things. One, Moses is a representative, an intermediary for both the people before God. So when he stands before God, it's as if Israel, God's people, is standing before him. And then he is also representing God to the people. So when God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to the people. That's God speaking to the people. Um, and whenever this is, whenever this is happening, uh, God says, okay, this pattern has happened again. The people have rebelled. And he, and he says, leave me alone or let me be alone that my wrath can burn against these people. Um, I'll start over with you just like he did with Noah. Uh, and, but he specifically asked Moses to leave him alone. Moses doesn't leave him alone. He actually steps in and yeah. intercedes as an intermediary to God. And he, re, and he says, hey, you, but you made this promise to Abraham, yeah. which technically he still could have fulfilled through Moses, um, but, but that's neither here nor there. And even saying that, bringing in hypotheticals when thinking about these questions, uh, as we're reading a narrative, can actually be really distracting, I think, because it starts to move us away from the point that the narrative is supposed to show us. Um, but as Moses steps in, he goes, hey, you made this promise. Uh, and then he even brings up, like, what are the Egyptians, what, what are the nations going to think about you if you just wipe your people out? Because Moses knows that God is trying to bring his name, his glory, and his mm -hmm. blessing and relationship to the nations. Yeah. Uh, and so Moses then appeals to God to be consistent, even though God would have been just to actually wipe the people out because of their horrible sin. Um, and and it seems like God decides to listen to him. And so thinking of it, okay, we set that in this narrative of the creation, fall, Tower of Babel, the flood, and we get to this point. The point of the narrative is to, one, we see Moses as being a figure that the book of Hebrews and the apostles are going to show like, Hey, that was a type of Jesus. Jesus is actually the perfect intermediary. Moses was yeah. awesome. He was like the prophet. Yeah. But he's interceded not on behalf of the people and God. Exactly. And Moses even offers up in that, in this uh, story, he's like, Hey, take me out instead of the people. And so he's literally, he's acting as what Jesus will fully hmm. act. And for then, us. and then thousands of years later, God will take somebody in place of the people, exactly. In Jesus, yes, exactly. Um, but then it's also because this is this isn't something that's like, oh yeah, this is clear cut from the beginning. People have been like, wait, what does this story mean? Like that that seems weird. Um, but because God responds to Moses, and it's it's very emotional on both ends. Like God's angry, and he's like, it seems like he's going back and forth. And Moses is like, no, don't do it. And he's like, remember all these things. It's this in, this engaging relationship where God does listen to Moses. And it's supposed to be a picture of, hey, whenever whenever we as people are walking in step closely with God, um, we are supposed to interact. God, God wants us to interact with him. That's been his plan from the beginning. 
that yeah. we would rule and reign with him. And this is a picture of what that looks like, that whenever we come and even ask for intercession, for ask God to do things, he does respond to that. And so it, it's actually supposed to be a really motivating story, not necessarily one that's like, oh my gosh, this is so hard to understand about God's character. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And I mean, part of why we can do that is because we know that God's character is unchanging. And mm-hmm. part of his character mm-hmm. is that he wants to interact with us and that he wants to show mercy. Um, and so we can rely on that, that he is faithful to do that when we, when we appeal to him. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important thing to note here. When we talk about God specifically changing his mind or relenting or regretting, what we are 100% not talking about is that God's nature or character Mm -hmm. is somehow changing. What we're saying is that he is, at least in this Exodus 32 account, and we see it again like in Jonah and we see other places, that, that God is taking into account in intermediaries and like intercessors and takes into account uh, his people and he listens, which I think instead of being this big philosophical theological debate on God's sovereignty and all-knowingness, like omniscience, om- omnipotence, I think instead the whole point is to show that God is a God who wants to relate to us. God is a God who cares? And again, just a reminder of when we're reading Genesis and Exodus specifically, this is written to the second generation Israel that's about to go into the promised land because their parents and aunts and uncles were, were unfaithful, like we saw with the golden calf. We saw with uh, Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies that went in and didn't trust God. And so this is written to remind them God is always going to be about his name and his glory and if you approach him and if you ask him according to his will and you align yourself with his will, he like he he listens and he'll take that into account, which is exactly what what Moses did. And so I think I think there's some application for us here as well, like today. But before before we get there, what do we do with some contradictory passages? What do we do with with passages? And, and we kind of just answered it, but but will someone kind of make it really clear? These these passages, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Eileen, I, I think you. you probably have them. Yeah, I got you. So yeah. read a couple of passages that would talk about God not changing. Yeah. Okay. So Numbers twenty three is a really um, great example, and I feel like this is a more well known verse. But Numbers twenty three nineteen uh, says, "God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind." Um, and then we also see in James, so going to the New Testament, James 1, 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow or shadow due to change, depending on the, the translation. And then the most interesting, I think, of all of these is if we look at 1 Samuel 15. And this is really cool because literally in one chapter, you see kind of both sides of this spectrum. And people have used this verse to be like, this is how I know the Bible is not real. Right. This is how I know mm-hmm. that it's contradictory, but mm-hmm. I don't think we need to go there. Right, right, right. <laughs> and in those moments, it's like, okay, let's let's look at how we're interpreting this and how we understand it. So in 1 Samuel 15, in verse 11, we actually see um, Yahweh saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. 
for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. But then a few verses later, 1 Samuel 15 verses, starting in 28, he says, um, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that she, that he should have regret. And so, I mean, those are just some verses that kind of say, oh, he does change his mind. Oh, actually he doesn't change his mind. So at, as clearly, or that you can give an example, like as clearly as you can state, What's going on here? What do we do with these contradictory passages? Seemingly contradictory. Yeah, it's um, one, these aren't easy necessarily, obviously, because yeah. we're having to do some, we have to be reading this whole narrative, have to be understanding what are these points that are trying to be made. Um, and again, just understand, like Ali said, the culture. Uh, but it, it does seem like anytime that authors of scripture bring up God regretting things, it is that he has seen some type of wickedness be brought forth and regret is always attached to that deep seated um, hurt. It is man, like this has happened. I almost like I hate that this has happened. Even if God knew that that is what is going to happen, but it's one of those, I mean, you're getting into, um, Hey, we get to choose things in our lives. We get to either align ourselves with God or not align ourselves with God. And it hurts God whenever we don't align ourselves. And so like in that Samuel passage, whenever he's like, hey, I regretted that Saul, that I made Saul all these things. Well, even even before he made Saul king, he, he had told the Israelites for a long time, you don't want a king. Like, I'm your king. Like, don't worry about it. And he's like, okay, I'll give you judges. That went horribly. And then they finally get a king. He's like, all right, fine. Who do you want? Like, who's king? They're like, Saul. He's like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And it, it lands there. And then he says, Samuel, um, that, hey, there, there is no regret for what, what has happened here. Uh, it seems like this plan that God is working out in the midst of human rebellion and evil, that that is part of God's sovereignty. He is going to work those things out. And as he is working that out, there, there is no regret because that is God's huge purpose is to work out this plan of redemption, even in the midst of uh, evil. And so he's like, yes, absolutely. I am going to work this plan out and I will not regret that I am doing this, but regretting the evil that has come about is it's almost, it's almost two different ways to use that word. And we have to be careful exactly how we're going to just paint that word over yeah. a situation. He's mourning over the decisions that his, his people have made, but he's not surprised by them and they ultimately don't change his plan. Like specifically in first Samuel, he let the people decide a king and regretted their decision and and was was mourning that their decision actually led to a really, really bad king that was uh, for his own glory. But then he had a another king that he chose ready to go, who was David. I want to emphasize what both of you said, like. God is not surprised by anything. He is all-knowing. He He knows what has happened, what will happen. Um, and I think that's just really important when it comes to this question, you know, because if we if we recognize, hey, God is not bound by time, um, but we are, and so we see things very linearly. Um, and I, I just think that's something to remember, and that's why this topic can kind of just be hard because we are so, like, cut and dry, like, yeah, but but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does, and then what if, you know, and then he can go down this, like, 
spiral, but just remembering, hey, God is all-knowing and he's not bound by time. Um, but then also just going back to um, God's character not changing. And and he is who he says he is, and, and we can read scripture and, and better know him. But also understanding that he does react, he interacts with us. And that's incredible. And that's something that we should just praise the Lord for. He's not some you know, static God that is, um, off somewhere and doesn't care about us. He's near and he is, um, responding to our prayers and, um, just us interacting with him. And that's a perfect, perfect segue into this like last little section, kind of wanting to bring it home by applying this. How does this, what does this mean for us? Does this have any implications for our lives as Christians today? And specifically this brings up the question of prayer do our prayers change God? Can they change God? Does God change his mind when we pray? What What's happening when we pray, when we ask God for something? What do y'all think? Yeah. So I think like my view of this or my view of prayer growing up was that like, oh, God is unchanging. God has a plan. And when we pray, it's not actually us interacting with the Lord or his plan it's that we are throwing up these prayers and requests so that we move closer to the Lord in his heart simply by interacting or speaking with him. Um, and that example, I think, shows God is like static and unchanging and not interacting with us at all, but we are interacting with him and it seems really one-sided. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that God interacts with us as well and that it is a two-way thing that prayers are actually answered by the Lord. Um, and so like going back to what we were saying about actually interacting with God's character. Um, if we know that God is merciful, if we know that God is a healer, if we know that God is all these things and we know that God loves us and cares about us, then we know that prayers are answered and that we can say, Lord, you have done these things. You have been merciful in the past. You have healed in the past. And we know that you can do these things for us. And so it's not, it's not wrong to ask those things of God. And I think that makes prayer way more powerful and it opens us up to pray in faith because we know that God answers and we know that he listens. That's good. And so do you think that there are things that God wouldn't do if you didn't pray for it. Just putting yeah. cards on the table I, here. I do. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, what Joanna is talking about here, even, you know, you, were, you dive into the New Testament, beginning of the church, um, the apostles and believers are going out, and the, like the kingdom's just like spreading a ton, the gospel's going out. And even in all those instances, the all those are very specific scenarios where somebody's interacting with somebody else. Like if somebody's going to be healed or something's going to be provided, uh, if if that person hadn't asked God to do something, then there's not really any reason to believe that it would have it would have happened uh, necessarily. And so, thinking about this, because you have small spectrum, big spectrum, God is working out this plan of redemption. Like he is going to do X, Y, and Z things like 100%. And like some of those things are like not going to change. But again, it's part of that partnership. It's from the very beginning of the story. He's wanting us to partner with him. And so the, the more that we are asking him to, to do things, to help us with things, to provide things, 
the more he is going to do that uh, because that is just the pattern over and over and over again, leading all the way into the New Testament, all the way into our own lives, that he will respond, he will answer. And, you know, that gets into the question of sometimes it's not going to be the exact thing. Um, you know, if God's trying to work something out in somebody's life specifically that you don't even know is going on and you ask him to do something in their life that might take away from that or it might be opposite even though you don't know it, there's a chance maybe he doesn't specifically ask or he doesn't answer that. Maybe he answers it in a different way. Maybe he's like, hey, I'm actually, I'm up to something you don't even know about. But then you see it happen and you're like, oh, that's incredible. That's so much better than I thought. <laughs> so yeah, that would be my answer to that. Yeah. And I think the, impo- the important thing to like balance here, like the tightrope we have to walk is that, is that God can do what, like whatever he wants to do and, and acts according to his will and even in situations where, let's say you felt called to pray for healing for a friend, and you're like, "Nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pray for them." Like, I don't, I don't think God's gonna answer that, and so I'm just not even gonna pray. And maybe these are hypothetical, which probably doesn't help us too much. But and let's say that friend doesn't get healed, God can put it on someone else's heart. Hey, mm-hmm. go pray for that friend. And so, say that friend says, "Nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pray." God could put it on someone else's heart. Mm-hmm. Go pray for that friend until somebody does it. Mm-hmm. So even like even when we pray for something or don't pray for something, like there there it like God still can can work His will and will work His will mm-hmm. in an infinite amount of ways. So that's one hand. But with that, I, I really do think we we need to also understand that God has chosen and wants us to be a part of his will, right? Jesus said in in uh, the Lord's Prayer, pr- like, start your prayers like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kind of, right? Let's think of Moses, right? Your glory, your name, and same with Moses, your kingdom come, your will be done. Praying, one, for God's glory, two, in accordance with his will, and and he wants us to partner with him in that. A lot of what prayer is is actually coming alongside God in what he's already doing. And so C.S. Lewis talks about prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. Like, I think that's a fun way to say that. I don't think it's like, like I would say that, yeah, prayer could change how God would interact in a certain situation. But I think even more important than that is that the more we pray, the more we align ourselves with God's will and what he's doing and so a huge part of prayer is actually ourselves becoming more like Jesus. Like prayer is our wills changing to conform to what God wants to do in the world as well. Any other any other thoughts? I mean, that was all really good, guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I think... Just to summarize that, um, yes, we should be praying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And like I've said five other times, the Lord is responsive. He's not some far off God. And so, um, gosh, I think just remembering that, that our our prayers are powerful. And um, I don't know, even kind of like what Jacob was talking about, um, the Lord's, and well, everyone's been talking about it, but the Lord's will will be done and it's whether or not we are going to be obedient or um, respond to that and take part in that and that's really cool that the lord um chooses to 
fulfill his will through other human beings. Um, that's just an incredible ride that we get to be on. And um, it's humbling too, you know, like, Lord, who are we that we get to, you know, pray for these people and come alongside them and, and watch you fulfill your promises that you've made to us. Yeah, that's really good. We don't have because we don't ask or we don't have because we ask and we ask with the wrong motives. And so... Whoa, that the, was really insightful. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the takeaways from today are keep asking, keep... God wants to communicate with us. God wants this relationship. He wants to talk with us. He even wants to help help us and meet our needs, and He cares about us. Mm-hmm. And so continue to go to Him, continue to ask, and ask with the right motives. Ask in in His name and with His with His name in mind, and also ask with his will in mind and, and being a part of what he's already doing in the world. And so I know that didn't answer everything and there's some mystery still involved with how God is working in the world, but until next time, grace Grace and and peace. peace.